Alrighty, what's going on folks? This is Not Another Football Podcast, and we're your hosts, Mike, Greg, and JP. And lucky y'all, we have a special guest today. Cam, do you want to say hi to everyone? How's it going, everyone? Well, glad to be back. Uh, I feel like after last week, you guys need a, a sensible voice in the room to kind of moderate um, after after last week's episode. So, are you trying to tell I could us help out? Are you trying to tell us you're coming out of retirement? Oh, good one. <laughs> first, uh, first shot at Brady was at 20 seconds in, so it's going to be a great episode. Technically 49, but we'll we'll, we'll move along with it. <laughs> Who's counting, right? <laughs> Uh, but seriously though, thank you so much, Cam, for joining us this week. Really do appreciate it. We want to end the end the season on a high note, and what better than to bring back one of our most avid listeners? Um, I guess it would have been best to end not bringing in Cam, but we went the opposite route. So fair enough. We wanted him to feel involved in the postseason as well, right? We've all been out yeah. for so long. We wanted to bring all, of us. all the misery. <laughs> misery loves company. Okay. Yep. I guess. Well, I'm just glad Cam's here, so I don't have anything else to add. Okay. Thanks for joining. JP's the one that sent the invite, so he was really feeling that NFC South love. You know, gotta have my gotta have my boy on, right? Need some backup against these uh, against the Ravens fans, right? Oh, I'm not. We call you know what we call that we call that light work. I just say yeah. Lamar Jackson contract, and they just spiral off into into to another world. And I, I enjoyed my piece. Yeah, let's go ahead and move on. We had enough of that talk last <laughs> week. So, all right. So my question of the day for you guys is something that I feel has been a recent trend within the last couple of years. And it's the losing players or a player uh, standing on the field watching the winning team as they celebrate. And I just kind of want to know what your guys' thoughts are. If, if, it's, if it's gimmicky, corny, if you think it's great, if it fuels people, um, I'll just tell you how I feel real fast. I mean, I think to me it's gimmicky. I think um, I don't know what your inspiration in, is on doing that. If you say it fills you, um, I don't know. To me, it just comes off super gimmicky. And unless I think there's two people that three people that could pull it off that I would truly believe it gives you inspiration. And that would be, um, some of the goats, LeBron, MJ, and Kobe. Like if those people did it to me, I'm like, okay, like that actually fuels them. Like they are, they, especially MJ and Kobe, they absolutely hate losing. So if they did it, I'd be like, man, they are pissed. But everyone else to me, it just kind of falls flat. What about you guys? Yeah, I'll hop in. Um, I can, I can tell by looking at some of the topics for today, I'm going to sound super old man. Um, so Greg, thank you for, for taking that first, but I, I agree with you. I think so much stuff is uh, for Instagram, TikTok, whatever it is. Here's me already sounding like old man. I don't know the, the social media things that people are using, but it it's all, yeah, it's a gimmick to me, but on the same to counter that, I think, Maybe it is a way to fuel people. Who am I to say, if that's what fuels you, don't do it because it's gimmicky. Like if the one that comes to mind is Stefan Diggs was that a couple of years ago. That was the first one that really, I think that I saw. And like, if that's going to fuel him for the next year, him standing out there, a photographer, he's probably not having that photographer be like, hey, take this picture of me, right? It's a photographer capturing the moment. If he's going to stand out there, let him do his thing. But as it happens more often now, then to me, it's kind of like, all right, the, the gimmicks 
kind of come and gone. Like, I don't know. I just don't care about it, I guess. You know, I think you touched on the issue that I take with it is that if it's not going to propel you to do better the following season, it's kind of, it's neither here nor there for me, right? So watching um, Stefan Diggs stand out there and they didn't really advance anywhere else. I mean, did it, it, it didn't, it didn't fuel him for 365 days. It might've fueled him for 364, but when it came down to it, he wasn't the difference maker in, in that game against the chiefs. And so um, I think it's important to note that uh, the examples that you gave Greg were for the NBA, where it truly is an individual can take over any given game, at any given time. In fact, when Kobe dropped, uh, what was it? 60 something points on New York. He wrote to Spike Lee and said, this was your fault. And so to your point, if a player is going to stand out there and get that kind of fuel, you would almost expect them to take over the game the next time they met. And you just, football's a, it's such a tough sport to do that, that I, I feel like it's kind of worthless. You're just continuing. You're hurting. You're, you're in that instance, you're not doing anything else, but soaking up the other team's happiness and like, it's kind of sitting there through it. So I don't, it doesn't move the needle for me. It, it, of course, uh, any any amateur journalist is going to take that photo and want to make something of it. But it's just it's a waste of your time, to be honest with you. It's sorry, it's just no love for me on that. It's it is what it is. And here I come. Right, I love it. I we have we have no neither of us, none of us here, the four of us have ever experienced what it's like to physically go through an NFL game, right? We don't know what's required to come over, to overcome those, those, those hits, those bruises. I mean, you saw how hard Isaiah Pacheco got hit in that game last night, right? If they need to do that to get them physically prepared to go through another, another 365 days of just a violent sport, an absolutely brutal sport. If that's what they need to fuel them, you got to do what you got to do to be to be that. I will never. I'm not going to say it doesn't move the needle. I'm not going to do it. If that what's that what that does for that singular player in that moment to get through another off season of sacrifice, of pain, of suffering, of like Toradol shots, whatever you want to call it, right? If that's what helps that person find that anchoring moment to think back to that time where you saw you came so close but you didn't get across the finish line, I'm all for it. You have to do whatever you have to do to get through one of the most physically demanding sports there is in the world. So I'm all for it. If it moves the needle for that person, go out and do it. I don't care if the camera's there. I don't care even if you do it for the camera. Whatever you need to do to get through those days, when you hear, like, when you thinking back to something we talked about earlier this season, right, when Derek Carr was crying in the press conference, he's like, you don't know what it's like to – to physically not be able to walk that day after a game because you got hit so hard. You don't know what it's like to go through that. So whatever you need to do to mentally get up and do it day after day, year after year, I'm all for it, man. I'm not going to knock anybody's hustle to try to fuel your fire. Could you also say, though, that in asking our our personal opinion of it, it's not about how it helps the player in a sense. It's more about does the image of that really fuel – the, the broader team, right? If I'm going to switch to tweak it a little bit, right? So as I mentioned, basketball being a more individual sport versus football being such a, 
such a team sport. If that's not going to get you and your team to play at a different level, all of the hard work that you're putting in the offseason, all 32 teams have to somehow come away and, and redo this year after year. And yet in games where teams are losing the regular season and you know maybe they lost out on a chance to go to the playoffs, you don't really see players standing out there. It seems to, it seems to be in these more uh, important playoff games such as an AFC championship game or the Super Bowl where you see players doing this. And it's just it's such a long road to your point, JP, back to that specific point. Is standing there going to help, going to be something that you think about every single time you're touching, you're toting the rock the next season, or is it something that you're going to forget about when you're back into studying for the next opponent? Yeah, and, you know, I'll, obviously that was my opinion. I don't disagree one bit with, with, JP, with JP because he's right. I mean, everyone can do and cope with how they lose and how, how they handle adversity on, on their own. Like, who am I to tell someone that, what, what I feel as a spectator, how they should handle it. Um, no different as in a day-to-day life, um, you know, if someone's feelings are hurt and you just, I mean, it's kind of like saying like, get over it. Like you're just completely ignoring how they feel in a moment. And yeah, I'll never be in an NFL player's shoes. So I, I know it's hypocritical of me to say like, uh, to me, it fall, to me personally, it falls flat just because I've seen so many people do it. But if, you know, Boston Scott is the person I'm referring to because he, he did it yesterday. If that is enough to get him through to, to run harder, to get a contract extension, to, to do whatever, to keep him going, then like more power to you. Um, but all, all I'm saying is I've seen it too much in the last couple of years that I'm just like, it doesn't mean anything to me anymore. Uh, the first year with, I think the first person I ever saw do it, I think might've been Sauce Gardner at Cincinnati. And someone was just like, keep an eye on him. And then he just won rookie of the year and like has just been performing and whatnot. So like, I don't know, like, like that's why I'm saying like certain people, I think it, it falls different for me. When I see it, I'm like, yeah, I know that person is like fueling him and driving him. But um, yeah, at the end of the day, I know my comment is, is hypocritical and you know, it, I'll never know what it feels like. So fellas, we have the biggest game of the year to talk about, right? Super Bowl came and went commercials were had halftime shows were played and in the end we came out with one winner kansas city chiefs taking it 38 35 over the philadelphia eagles i'll save my comments for last but i want to ask everyone what are your thoughts on the game how do you feel as all of us have our uninterested parties to to this game what are your overall thoughts and then we can kind of break it down from there so um, Cam, as you are our guest, we'll start with you. Ooh, a lot of pressure. Um, yeah, as a casual observer of this game with no stake in it, um, just as a fan of football, I don't know how you could not have enjoyed the game, and maybe I'll be eating those words with one of you three if you didn't enjoy it. But, I mean, it was just a fun game. High scoring, right? What was the what was the point? 70-something? I mean, you're scoring 70-some points in a, the best game of the year. Um, I don't know, we just had a little bit of everything. Defensive scoop and score, like just teams going back and forth. We'll talk about the ending in a little bit. Uh, some strong opinions there, but overall, I mean, just as a as a casual observer in this game, I I thought it was a blast. I enjoyed watching um, Jalen Hurts. Uh, I was curious to see how he would perform, but it was just a fun game. I was watching with a big group of people, uh, a bunch of my firefighter buddies, 
Um, so it was the kind of first time in a while I've gone to a party and we just had a blast and it was just a good time. I, I think as a fan, you had to enjoy it. So. Yeah. So I, I too enjoyed it. I think, I think the game was great. I texted you guys during uh, right before halftime when, when Mahomes went down and it was the, the only text I sent because it's, I think it's what everyone thought was if Mahomes is injured and can't play the rest of the game, the Eagles had probably the luckiest stretch of breaks of any team that I can possibly think of uh, that would win the Super Bowl. And I'm not trying to discount their schedule and everything leading up to it. You obviously have to play the the teams that are ahead of you and you have no control over how bad they are. Um, but if they went down, it, if Mahomes went down, I was just like, oh, we just got robbed of a great Super Bowl. I'm so glad he didn't. I think he cemented himself as the best quarterback in the NFL now. Um, I'm not saying ever. Currently, he is the best player in the NFL. Um, but, man, if I'm a Phillies fan, yeah, I'm upset that you lost and how you lost. But you know you have yourself a franchise quarterback. And I, I too, agree that Hurts was amazing. I, I was telling Camille, um, I, I listened to – I uh, told her yesterday during the game, Jordan Palmer made this comparison. I think it was early last year or the year before. I think it was during Hertz's at the end of his first year, beginning of the second, he said that Jalen Hurts was going to be better or is better than Lamar Jackson. And at the time I said, Whoa, he just came off of MVP year, pump the brakes on that. But seeing how he played last night, I, I got to say, like, I kind of agree with him. Like he, Jalen Hurts was amazing. And the whole round, I don't know, before, I'll, I'll just stop there. I thought the game was great. I thought halftime fell a little bit flat, but I also loved it. I think the dancers were fantastic. Um, Mike, what'd you think? Yeah, um, you know, I, I thought I thought the game was great. Uh, I know we'll talk about <laughs> kind of the other uh, more controversial aspects of it, but overall, really liked the game. I thought both teams played very well. Um, really happy for for the Chiefs. They played a great game, and I think when you sent that text about the Eagles getting all these lucky breaks, it you know it, you almost start to root for the other team in that situation. And um, they never had um, a uh, a backup quarterback come in, even though he was he was there. Um, so it was at least not that I not that I saw, but. Um, it was impressive. Um, I think that to your point, he is the best in the game right now. And it's impressive to see and to watch similar to how, you know, we watched Brady for his time in, in new England and recognize that we were witnessing, you know, greatness at the time. So I, 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 but potentially a little bit different. I, I really enjoyed halftime. I thought that Rihanna had a, a great performance. It was nice to hear some of her old, her old kicks. Um, but yeah, all in all, I thought it was thought it was a good, well played game. I'm super pumped for Brandon Williams. You know, he spent ten years in one place and finally gets a ring, and so happy for him and, and some of those other players who have really been more journeymen, like Carlos Dunlap and, and these names who just signed on to try and, and do the thing and were able to do it. Um, and I know both teams had their fair share of players like that, but it was good. I enjoyed it. Nice end of the season. Yeah, I thought. I I had honestly this is probably one of the better Super Bowls we've had in quite some time. I thoroughly enjoyed it. We got a little bit of everything. There was some drama. We got offensive scoring, we got defensive scoring, we got impact plays on special teams, both positive and negative. Chiefs missing a field goal and then 
the amazing run, uh, punt return from Kadarius Tony. I got everything that I wanted out of it. You know, it's something special. It's something great to see that in a game that had a lot of stakes, not only for the Super Bowl, right, but taking it into the larger context of things, right? This is the first Super Bowl with two black quarterbacks leading the charge. And they put on an absolute show. And I think the thing that also highlights all of this is that when it comes down to the best, we saw what we expected. One mistake changes the entire outcome of a game. You have to be perfect. The Chiefs were not in that first half, and the Eagles let them in. They let them that that fumble. While it's gonna it's gonna hurt, for lack of a better term, Jalen hurts for some for some time. Like that is how perfect you need to be to win a Super Bowl, and you saw that in the second half from Mahomes, right? I I originally thought that it was a kind of an over exaggeration to talk about like the flu game in comparison to what Mahomes did, but looking back on it, when I actually look at the numbers, what he did in that second half on one ankle is is incredibly impressive. You go thir- you you go thirteen for fourteen with <laughs> and lead three straight scoring drives, like in the Super Bowl against the best defense that's been out there all season. And the one thing that needs to be talked about way more in any type of breakdown of this game is how great the Chiefs' offensive line was. That was some of the best offensive line play I've ever seen. It was incredible. The Eagles put up the third highest number of sacks ever in a season. Zero sacks in the Super Bowl, especially when your quarterback doesn't have any mobility. So for that to be the way that that game kind of unfolds and to see it's it's great because i know a lot of us are big offensive and defensive line guys on this on this podcast so it was good to see that you know the big boys get the credit they deserve it um but we've alluded to something that i think we need to have a we need to hash out as a as a podcast because we got some big feelings on this one the end of the game chiefs are driving um it's about two minutes and 45 seconds left on the clock in the fourth quarter and there's a ball that sails into the end zone and there's a penalty called for holding on the defense between James Bradbury and Juju Smith-Schuster running a whip route. Now, I know, Mike, you feel strongly about this, so I want to get your thoughts first. How do you feel about the call? Look, um, I think watching the 30 for 30 before before the game kind of put me on uh, – sorry, the um, – uh, the boys of Baltimore 30 for 30 kind of put me on a level with uh, what I think defensive players should be able to do. So um, letter of the law, it was a penalty, but you know, I, I don't want to say that I feel strongly about it because I didn't have a horse in this race. I feel as though whip routes are just really tough to defend. And as a cornerback, you're kind of on an island without help over top because you're not guarding their, quote, best receiver or however you want to put it. You know, it just sucks. It, it, it sucks. But it was nice that uh, Bradbury came out pretty quickly and, and said that, you know, I held him uh, kind of allayed all, all suggestion that there was impropriety on the, the ref's part. But, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, it's just tough to defend as a DB. And so, you know, it is, it is what it is. Um, 
you know, JP puts here in the chat that he wants, he wants Twitter, Mike, and you know, it, I'll say the same thing that I did on Twitter last night. You know, it's, it, it is going to look a lot different from our broadcast angle than it does in the field. And um, as, as much as it is a frustration, a point of frustration to, of mine, it, it's tough to play DB in this league. And so, well, yes, you know, it's, it is never great to, to give up a play like that. You know, I just, yeah, play better, I guess, play better, but uh, I'm interested, if there's more conversations, I'll probably jump back in, but that's my, you know, 24 hours after take is going to be a lot more muted. Yeah. And, and just Mike, I'm going to bring up the point. I think you made, I think it was two weeks ago. Uh, I wasn't on the podcast, but you, you had talked about how your coach or you would hear coaches always say, don't put the, don't put the game in the ref's hands. Well, I love that Bradbury came out and just owned it, squashed it. There's really no debate after that like it, it came straight from the horse's mouth that hey I, I held them I was hoping they didn't call but he did and yes does it feel do you I agree with the call because if you just ask anyone was it a flag yes or no whether no matter the time no matter the Super Bowl was it a flag yes it was so therefore it should have been called but both things now both things can be true of what everyone is saying. Does it feel like it took away from having Hertz get, you know, a chance to to have some drive at the end? Yes. But that doesn't guarantee anything. It doesn't guarantee that they were going to come down, tie the game or score. Do I think it would have been extremely entertaining for a spectator watching? Absolutely. But I I'm okay with the call. It, it was the right call at the right time. Um, I've, I've heard Rob Ninkovich today talking about how he, the Eagles way or the Patriots way, he should have been wearing white gloves. I'm like, no, a flag is a flag. A penalty should be called when it's called, whether you're wearing white gloves, blue gloves, pink gloves. I, I, I hate that. And I think someone just said another, another way for Patriots to get caught cheating or whatever. Um, so I think it was the right call. Very unfortunate timing for Bradbury. He's going to be the scapegoat to a lot of people. Uh, so is the ref, but it doesn't take away of of how great that game was played on both sides. If anyone let you down, it was the Eagles defense, but we'll talk about that later. All right. I've been holding my – waiting for my turn on this. Okay. I, I actually found it ironic, Greg and Mike, um, when we were talking about – when you two were talking about the Eagles or Mahomes going down and talking about how – the Eagles caught so many lucky breaks in their playoff run, considering what the Chiefs have gone through. But we can we can table the previous game. So I think I was the only one on the group chat yesterday, and JP maybe correct me on this, but I think everyone else agreed with the call. So I'm probably going to talk circles here. But I hitting on a couple things you said. I if it was a if it was a foul, it was a foul, right? He held him, cool. So you can say you should have thrown a flag, and they obviously did. It's what bothered me about it is that throughout the course of the other 58 minutes of the game, you set a precedent of how you're going to let these people play. So by calling a hold on that play and you know, you hear people say you can't call, you can't throw a flag in that situation. I just, for how non-egregious it was, he didn't, 
He didn't tackle the guy. It was a light hold, if that, right? So if you've let them play for 58 minutes and that's the time you determine, oh, this rose to the level of a flag. And again, I, I don't think there's some conspiracy where the refs are rigging games or whatever it might be, but it just, it leaves a bad taste in my mouth. And again, you don't know what's going to happen for the last drive of the game or what was going to happen with the kick. But just the fact that they let him play, that's the time you decide to call on a non-egregious non-egregious penalty. Like, I, I don't know. It's the optics of the NFL refing all year, and then that's how the, that's how the season ends in the Super Bowl is with a ticky-tack flag like that. It just it, – I don't know. He held him, cool, throw the flag, but I would have liked to see them not throw the flag based on the other 58 minutes that they had let them play. That's my take on it. I I see what you're saying with that, but I also think that just as people say that in this situation you don't call the flag, I also I would argue the counter, right? If there if a if a foul occurs that alters that affects the person's ability to run a route even more now right because at that point it just sets a precedent where you end up here we go nfc south people you get the rams you get the rams and, and the saints in the playoffs right every like we can't we can't have it both ways you either want the calls to take place in the moment or you don't and the Ra- i mean the and Rams, I, I understand that one was an obvious. I yep. understand it, but this was also a clear foul. Like the player owns up to it. I think that's. I think that speaks more to them. They just handle that with a lot of class, right? They're not going to throw the blame on the refs. I, I just, ah, it just bugs me how the slightest tug on a jersey. You can't tell me that. You can't tell me there wasn't that level of holding at any other point in the game that the refs weren't calling it. I think, and now they decide to call it. I think this is a misconception. Everyone is focusing on the replay that they showed on the broadcast and saying where they where they froze the image of that's where the hold was. That's not where the hold took place. The hold took place on the initial cut in, not the cut out. And I think that's where everyone's getting getting the play mixed up right it's a full body wrap on the cut in and then on the way out of the route you see the jersey grab as well so the entire like you have to look at the entirety of the route and that's where you find the hold that's the that's the reason why whip routes were invented was to create this sort of separation right so it's but from all my of understanding, that. Go ahead, Mike. I'm sorry, and I'm sorry to go cut ahead. you off. But from my understanding, the incidental, the the contact within the whip route is legal within five yards of the line of scrimmage. It was it was the hold of the jersey that didn't allow him the separation he needed to make the ball catchable. It, it, it correct me if I'm wrong, but I just want to make sure that we're taking the, the the two a little bit differently because you're allowed to touch the receiver and not reroute him. But if it's a whip route like that, you're allowed to put your hands on him. But you can put um, you can put your hands on him. You can't put your hands around him, and that's where the contact took place. Is, that's where the contact right, but place. Even with 
his hands around him. He didn't impede his progress. Which no, is the the refs came out and said, yeah, it wasn't the initial w- within five yards. As soon as he, right. as soon as Juju turned to go upfield and he grabbed him, that it's was that the immediate contact. play. But every like, like, like the still the still that everyone is posting everywhere on Twitter and all and everyone who's crying about the flag, that's half a second after where the penalty takes place. Right, but that's why we wanted to clarify that it wasn't him initially putting his hands. It's on not. Him when it's he was not the initial. It. It's. It's at that moment. It's that the moment he takes that plant foot and cuts back up the field. That is where it comes. Not as he's like as we get that still shot of like, oh, it looks like he's just like barely touching him. Like it's the whole. It's the entirety of the route. That's why it's hard when we look at like when we when they do replay reviews. It's the entirety of the the replay. It's not just the still grab that we see on the image. So you have to call like you have to call that, right? It changes the play. If it doesn't allow him to go upfield, you got to call it. Right? Otherwise, you end up in the situation where hey, I was tackled on a route. No one called anything. Well, which do you want? Do you want us to hold the whistle and let him play it out or do you want the foul called? I get that it's egregious. I 100% I 100% understand that, but that's that's the causal connection there. For me. I I just like having when a precedent has been set. I think of like the MLB, you know, like there's a strike zone, but a lot of times you have the home plate ump and he establishes his strike zone for that game. So the pitcher kind of pitchers and batters know, okay, he's calling them a little outside. And as long as they're consistent with that, I'm, I'm fine with it. Then you can't be upset when it's, you know, bottom of the ninth and they ring you up on an outside pitch, right? Cause you're like, he's been calling that all game. So that's, I'll just, I'll reiterate that's my issue with this flag is that I don't I can't say for sure that there was a play like that earlier in the game. I can assume that with the amount of passing in the game yesterday there could have been a similar a similar hold that wasn't called maybe multiple times. So if there wasn't then great. Great flag on them. They called it, but if you're not consistent with how you're calling it that's <clears throat> that's what upsets me is the inconsistency of it. Yeah, and just unless anyone else has anything to say, I'll, I'll say this last thing before moving moving into the next topic is, I think the fact that it was a pass interference slash holding um, is under the microscope just as much as catch is it not catch because sometimes it does it. A lot of people just I don't want to say have clarity on it because yes, on any given play you can say that there's holding, whether it's offensive line or defensive line or with, with cornerbacks. So it does seem very subjective to your point, Cam, just like the strike zone, you know, a pitch earlier could be one thing, but you know, later in the game, it's a completely other one. You're just like, just call it fair all game. So that's, that's the love it, hate it part about subjective calls of uh, it's up to that person at the time. And I think Nick Sirianni, uh, the Eagles coach said the respectable thing, I know the emotions after the game are really hard, just like Bradbury. Uh, Sirianni said, in a split second, you have to make that call. It's not up to him to determine it. It's what the ref called at the moment. Um, I think that was a class thing to say because uh, he very easily could have could have just been upset. So this leads me into my next question on what you guys – I don't want to say necessarily what went wrong for the Eagles, but all year everyone's been talking – even in the playoffs, everyone's talked about how how great this defense is. What let them down uh, in this game that they gave up 
38 points and the Chiefs were able to do whatever they want with only having the ball for less than 25 minutes. So is it the schedule that they played all year? Is the defense just not as good? The Chiefs just play really good. Um, JP, since you've been going last, let's talk to you first. Yeah, and I I don't want to preface it in this way. I don't think that the Eagles did anything wrong. It's just I said this last week. They there is there are not teams like that that you can really use to stimulate the Kansas City Chiefs, right? If you look at the way that they scored those touchdowns, I'm patting myself on the back. F it, right? This is exactly what I said. Why the Chiefs will win this game? Because you have an absolute genius at play caller between BN like both of them. And you heard the praise from Andy Reid last night. Bienemy and Reed, they will scheme guys open. Two of those two of those second half touchdowns, why like no one within 10 yards of either player. So it's just you got out schemed. You got out coached. And that's what happens sometimes. Right? You have to be perfect. You have to be perfect in everything that you do. What made the Eagles so successful all year? Pressure against the quarterback. Can I get to the QB with four? Right? That's how they shut down the Niners, who have just as good as an offensive line. That's how they shut down every other team that they played this year. Zero sacks in that game. That's, that's if you want to point to one thing that they could have done wrong, they didn't get pressure against Mahomes. He had there were he got everything that he wanted. But Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy get the absolute most out of any player on their team. They got the most out of that offensive line. They got the most out of that receiver group, which is a downgrade from last year. Andy Reid is just a Hall of Fame coach. He's one of the greatest of all time. All right. And I I hear what you're saying JP and I agree with you about 80%. There are two points that I want to that I want to bring up, though. Um, one being that the Chiefs have spent a lot of time and money and capital building that offensive line, so it performed as it needed to and as they expected it to. I'm not. I'll tip my hat to them, but drafting people like Creed Humphrey and bringing in people like Orlando Brown Jr. and I can't remember if they brought in one other um, lineman from somewhere else, but it's Joe you know, Thune. It's Joe Thune. Joe from Thune Patriots. from Patriots. Very good. And so. But, but again, it, it, it serves to highlight that they recognize that as a deficiency. It, didn't, it almost doesn't matter in the NFL. Okay, I don't want to – that's that's too much. Um, but it, 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 for the Chiefs, it almost didn't matter how good their wide receivers were if they couldn't keep Patrick Mahomes clean. And so they could put <laughs> – I mean, they had some pretty decent receivers. We can't deny that between Tony and Juju Smith-Schuster and Vantel uh, uh, – Vantless Scanting, Vantless Scanting, Baldess Scantling. whatever. But these are, are all the receivers who are their, their twos and threes and fours, and they're still serviceable, right? And so you wear down an Eagles defense, and you wear down uh, a good defense, and you're still going to be able to, to get take shots on them and, and get them to make mistakes, which they did. Um, I was reading an article today about how Eric Bieniemy was noticing tendencies in the Eagles' successful defense and was able to um, attack those tendencies and create the mismatches they needed. And man, that, we have to also give credit. Just the Chiefs are very talented on offense, and they've spent a lot of capital, as I said, in that offensive line. Um, so again, the majority of what I agree with that you said is that 
uh, Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy are just goats at their craft. They are are excellent at dissecting what you're trying to do and what you're able to do. And so I think it's it's fair to say that you know the Eagles came in with a great defense, but it, you have to play four quarters against a good offense, and they set the tone pretty early. Um, and I'm interested to see what what the rest of you guys have to say here. But uh, yeah, I think that. It, you have to mention that the offensive line played very well, but again, they put a lot of resources into building this. And so it, if it, if it didn't, and there were a lot of sacks it would have raised more questions than answers uh, aside from just, just a potential loss in this game. Yeah. Uh, JB, JP, I will uh, join you in the NFC South. Uh, so I'll take your side as well. Um, I, I agree with pretty much everything you said. We're going to have basically the same take on this. Um, Mike, I will say, you know, you saying that the O-line performed as expected. I would say I don't think you can expect an O-line to give up zero sacks. So I, I would not say that's expected based on their draft. Like, that's a phenomenal Super Bowl for that O-line, I think, as JP said earlier. So I'll just just call that out. They did very well. I don't know if I would have expected that from them. Um, but, yeah, kudos to them. But yeah, I don't get into the question of what the Eagles did wrong. Like JP said, like I, I can't pick out anything they really did wrong. Um, you know, you have the one, the one error by by Hertz. You know, the the scoop and score, right? You take that play away, who knows what the drive would have led to? But um, that definitely could have swung the momentum in the game. So, it the big thing that I kept coming back to was just the coaching. I think both of you hit on that already as well. It's you have two veteran coaches, Hall of Fame coaches, and you know at least Andy Reid, and we'll see what the enemy does for the rest of his career. But um, just coaches who have been there before and are just the masters at their craft, right? It's just hard to overcome that if you are not absolutely perfect. And you know, getting no pressures on Mahomes and you know, losing a fumble that results in a touchdown, like those things are are going to cost you. So I I think the Eagles did great, but they literally had to play a perfect game and the chiefs played a little more perfect than they did. So kudos to the chiefs. Yeah. No disagreements there. I'll, I'll just say, I'll just say this about the Eagles defense. I don't know how you go from all the sacks, all the pressures, all the, this, all the, that to nothing. Yes. The chiefs O-line played great but Patrick Mahomes was on a hobbled ankle. You, you're not giving them anything like new to see. The fact that you you didn't really present the – I feel like the Eagles' whole game plan to me was keep the ball away from Patrick Mahomes, which sounds so easy. And it, in theory, it sounds great. Hey, let our run game – lean on our run game. Our defense is good enough to keep the Chiefs out of the end zone. Well, that didn't work out that well. Um, Hertz was put the whole team on his back. The Chiefs' coaching was just so good that they saw stuff. They picked apart the the worst parts about the Eagles' defense, and everyone thought the worst part about the Eagles' defense was going to be their linebackers. But it turned out to be this game. The secondary was was what the, let them down with with how they couldn't pass off coverages and that's what they took advantage of. So to me, I'm just, I don't know from everything that I've seen, I just don't think that the Eagles changed enough and they just kind of leaned on everything that worked for them up to this point without giving Mahomes and the chiefs 
something new, something creative to think about. Um, I sent you guys a text. I think it was before the game uh, or the day before that they brought in uh, Vic Fangio to, to help them out. And I'm, I saw it on Twitter and I just kind of laughed because someone else pointed out that, and this guy went 0 for 6 with the Broncos and the Chiefs averaged like 33 points a game against them. And once again, they, they put up 38. So I have no idea how much help he gave during the week. But to me, I just don't know how you go from such a, uh, a you know, the most sacks all year, some people comparing you to the 85 bears, as far as pressure and all that type of stuff to absolutely nothing. And I want to give all the credit to the chiefs, but I'm like, there's something missing of why the Eagles just couldn't do something. I don't know what it is. I'm sure we'll hear reports later when people analyze the film or when we listen to people kind of throughout the week of how the chiefs were able to take advantage of things. I don't know. Um, that defense really let them down, but, um, Hurt, hurts. I have no doubt that Hurts is their franchise quarterback, and and uh, may may get them back to the Super Bowl. I, I I'd be surprised if they never go back, in my opinion. I just want to hop in real real quick because I feel like this is a very. I understand that the point of this segment, right? Because we think like they had a ten point lead at halftime, so the Chiefs, the the Eagles did something wrong. We got to take a quick second, and I just need to read out this stat line because this is one of the most incredible singular player performances I've seen. Jalen Hurts went. 27 for 38, 304 yards passing, and a passing touchdown. On top of that, 15 carries for 70 yards, averaging four and a half, over four and a half yards a, a carry for three touchdowns. Like, that's absolutely bonkers. And I feel like I understand that this point was like, where did things go wrong? It's not on Jalen Hurts. And, that, and he played like an MVP. Speaking of which, we should probably talk about the Super Bowl MVP, did we get it right? As well as some NFL honors we got to talk about. So, Super Bowl MVP, Patrick Mahomes. Miraculous comeback, Magic Mahomes, as they call him. Right? Do y'all think that there should have been a different Super Bowl MVP? Because I have an alternative option. Well, I, I, I put this in our, our agenda because I, I wanted to get your guys' opinion. I, I talked to Camille about this yesterday. And... My my first thought, my first question is, and this goes across with every sport, not just the NFL. Why don't losing players get the MVPs more? Because Hertz, I thought, was in real real consideration last night. Like, I I really thought hard about like if I was voting, I would have voted for him. Nothing against Mahomes, but like everything that Hertz had to do, put his team with the defense. We just talked about that. I thought he deserved some votes. The others that come to mind. LeBron James with the Cavs going to give up against the Warriors, how he put the team. So like, to me, I see why you give it to the, the winning team. They won you reward them, but sometimes you can't overlook something that a losing player does. So um, Mahomes deserved it. You could have gave it to Kelsey. You could have gave it to O-line, whatever. I don't care. But I think sometimes you got to put some respect on the losing people just because they lost. Doesn't mean it was just on them. You know, if it's, if it's the individual sport like tennis or golf, no, you can't give it to a losing player, but if it's a team sport, uh, I think you can make exceptions. The old Jerry West reward, right? Um, that's, that's for our NBA historians, right? I wasn't going to go with Jalen Hurts for my other option. I had someone else on the chiefs. I had the linebacker, Nick Bolton. That man played out of his mind, out of his mind right? Like, scoop and score for a touchdown, 
the the three and out was all because of him flying around, making like covering sideline to sideline, getting pressure on the quarterback. Like watching him play, like that's the next young stud linebacker. That's the guy that's going to be it. And he he made a name for himself. The biggest we talk about, if you want to be the next great, you got to play, make big plays on on the next level, on the highest stage. He showed out, and he's like, I'm Nick Bolton. I'm here. Also, pride of Missouri. Speaking of things that are the pride and joy of certain areas, I think it's important to talk about the playing surface. Um, Now, the NFL spent $800,000 and manicured this sod for two years. And as far as I, from my understanding, it wasn't used as a playing surface until this game. And players, you could see them changing cleats. You could see them going through, uh, slipping, sliding all over, all across the field. Um, I've heard rumors of uh, players saying that it was literally like playing on a slip and slide. And so um, for the NFL to spend that kind of money on grass, <laughs> Um, and I know we've talked about it on the podcast, the, the empirical argument of grass versus turf. Um, man, this is just a bad showing for grass. I, I was shocked and dismayed at what they brought to uh, what they brought to it. I just think they can do a better job. Um, just make it Bermuda grass at this point, man. Like it's, it's the, I'm not going to bring it back to the Ravens, um, but I think there are other teams that have fine playing services that are grass that haven't had this kind of issue. So interested to see what uh, the rest of you turf originalists believe. I'm going to take that as my cue to come in because I think I'm the only turf originalist here. Um, yeah, I, I had seen that tweet earlier in the day about all this how much time they had spent on the grass and all the money on it. And I'm like, Oh, this, this is going to be good. You know, this is well before the game. And I think I mentioned it to you guys during the game, like as they started to slip, you know, it wasn't, I didn't really notice it the first half kind of as the game wore on, uh, got a lot more, more noticeable. And so I kind of brought up how much, how much money and time had been spent on that. But yeah, I think it's, it's a bad, a bad showing for the NFL um, echoing everything that you said, Mike, what I think I've seen a lot of those same tweets, um, just a lot of the articles about players speaking out about it. But I'm going to take this time to just slightly tweak the conversation to talk about the playing surface. And I think this just goes to show for all these people talking about how every stadium should have grass. And I know I, I sent you guys a very long text explaining my point several months ago, just how, I don't want to say impractical, but how difficult it is. We've seen other examples of, I think, I forget the the name of the stadium that the Niners play in, but I think that one's historically had some issues as well um, where the commanders play. Like, there's issues with grass. So this idea of everyone needs to have grass, besides the logistics of planting grass in an indoor stadium in Minnesota below grade, we could talk about that all day. But it just, I hope this lowers some of those expectations of, people saying everyone needs to be playing on grass because the crown jewel of the NFL, two years to get this field ready, $800,000 for one game, and this was the result. So imagine that across 32 stadiums for 17 weeks a year. Just leave it at that. Yeah, and 
honestly, I think my take on it is the only reason why I'm so gung ho. I don't want to say gung ho on the side of grass is because so many players have come out and said grass is better. We prefer grass and there's a huge, strong movement on it. I don't care what they play on. Um, both look really good to me. I think there's a time and place for grass and, and turf. The grass looked really good yesterday, but the playing surface was absolute crap after spending so much time. So um, I don't care what they do. I just think it needed to be a better result than yesterday. So before we move into our next our next topic, I just want to ask you guys real quick, just give me uh, one or two sentences on, we had this talk yesterday briefly. Are the Chiefs a dynasty? Are we in it? Um, are you waiting until the end of their career? What are your thoughts? Cam, let's start with you. Uh, I will say consistent for what I said um, in our text before the game. So since the Chiefs won, I will say yes. I will put them in that dynasty category. Uh, I think the what the Patriots did over 20 years kind of skews people's mind, but what the, the Chiefs have done in the last five years, yeah, we're living in a dynasty for the Chiefs. More power to them. Yes, I wish we could expand on this a little bit more. I did some research before, and um, I think they are, I think we're witnessing a dynasty, but I also think that we won't be able to contextualize it in the same way that the Patriots did until it's been 20 years of the consistent success that the Patriots, until it matches the consistent success over 20 years that the Patriots had in AFC Championship games alone. Yes, this is a dynasty. I think that setting your setting your parameters to match the outlier leads you to failure. And there's no there's been no team that can ever replicate. And I don't think there will ever be a team that replicates that sort that sort of long-term success. Therefore, you can say that there will never be another dynasty. So, in that regards, I absolutely think Mike, I'm going to allow you two sentence retort. Because I, I know you got something, so come on. The Chiefs are the best team in the AFC right now, having taken that mantle over from the Patriots. It, it has yet to be seen if they can get any closer to the number of wins the Patriots had in the 20 years, in the, in the Super Bowl or in the AFC Championship game. So lots of, lots to be yet to be seen. Okay, so I, I'm going to try and move quickly here. It's can we not have a, a short dynasty, right? We're trying to compare everything to the Patriots. I'll say we, Mike, trying to compare everything to the Patriots here. So you're saying if we have to wait 20 years, can't we? Even if the Chiefs say next year for some reason they fall off and they never make it back to the Super Bowl in the next 20 years, can't we still look back and say, hey, that five-year span, that was still a dynasty for the Chiefs. It doesn't have to be they had success over 20 years like the Patriots did. It's a short-term dynasty that we're living in right now. Wouldn't that be called a different term, perhaps, than dynasty? No, I think of it like I think me. I think of it like the Lakers, right? You have different dynastic areas. The Showtime Lakers. That's a, that's a five-year that's a five-year period, right? When they won those rings, two thousand and three, like like the early two thousands Lakers, the Shaq and Kobe Lakers. That's a dynasty. They only played well together for four years. I consider that a dynasty. So yeah, and you know we've we've said this in the group chat. It obviously comes down to 
it's it's like asking someone to determine the success of someone like it what is your definition of success so it obviously it's up to everyone and what they're going to say i personally think yes because it's happened over a you know if we're just looking at the start of mahomes career it's been 5 years uh or 6 years since he's been there 5 since he's been a starter and uh they've consistently consistently either been in the afc championship or in the super bowl now whether they won or lost i would say for the, those 5 periods and it doesn't look like they're going to stop at any time even if they don't hit the super bowl for a couple years we sometimes forget Patriots didn't make it for 10 years. So are we going to say that that wasn't really a dynasty? So um, I, I do think that they're in it, um, even if they don't win one, but they consistently win, even just making it to the playoffs. So um, they are a dynasty. I disagree with Chris Jones saying that they were a dynasty after winning their first one because that was way too soon, but sustained success over a period of time. So that I say yes. Fellas, let's turn to our last topic of the night, shall we? Before the Super Bowl kicked off, we had the NFL Honors. I'm going to run down this list of, of award winners, and I want to get your thoughts, either snubs or players who thought, yeah, this is exactly what we wanted. So, winning Coach of the Year, Brian Dable. Offensive Player of the Year went to Justin Jefferson of the Minnesota Vikings. Defensive Player of the Year went to Nick Bosa of the San Francisco 49ers. For our rookies, our Offensive Rookie of the Year, Garrett Wilson. And our offensive, our Defensive Player of, Rookie of the Year, excuse me, goes to one Sauce Gardner. Uh, Walter Payton Man of the Year Award, Dak Prescott. Comeback Player of the Year, Geno Smith. And the man... The myth, the legend himself, the destroyer of the nine-year drought of, of MVPs winning the Super Bowl, Patrick Mahomes taking home the NFL regular season MVP award. So, gentlemen, any snubs that you're seeing from this? I don't think that there are any snubs, but I will say I saw this on Twitter and I completely agree. I think comeback player of the year and most – uh, should be broken out into comeback player and most improved. Um, because I do think, I don't think Gino is a comeback because he's been in the league. He hasn't been injured. Um, but he definitely was the most improved from his previous time. Uh, JP, uh, I do want to say that Mike Parsons got zero first place votes. Um, told you so. And uh, Giants head coach, Brian Dable winning coach of the year. Uh, told you that was happening. Um, so if you got to toot your own horn or pat yourself on the back, I'm going to go ahead and pat myself on the back right now. Well, that's my snub. I don't think that Brian Dable should have won Coach of the Year. I said it. Who? Do you, so who do you think should have? I don't know. Maybe to the two of the coaches that are in the Super Bowl? I don't know. That's a wild one. The two best records oh, in, in their, the league? In their first seasons as head coaches? I don't think so. Well, if you're, if you're in a dynasty, I don't think you're going to give it to a head coach that's part of a dynasty. Maybe we're having the LeBron effect, right? Where we're just sick and tired of giving him awards. <laughs> sure. Right? I honestly, my pick was Nick Sirianni because from the devastation that was what they had against, as, as much as this hurts me to say, is what they did last year against the Bucks to where they are now, there's no question that he should have been. They would have, they probably would have gone 16 and 1, 15 and 2 if Jalen Hurts doesn't get hurt at the end of the season. But they I don't. Playoffs last year, right? Yeah. 
You know who didn't make playoffs last year? Oh, I didn't know this was an award for last year. I thought it was the best oh, the best no. coach this hmm. year. Who had a better you record? You are the best coach based on what you were able to do who had the, year, right? Who had the better record? Well, okay. I mean, who I do think that Mike Mike does make a good point because if, if you came off an undefeated season the year before and then you followed it up and your coach went coach through the year, it's like what kind of improvements or, or whatever. So, like, I do think the previous year does play some part of it because I think the per- – the, JP, I'm just giving you crap. I don't care if uh, Brian Dable won. I Legitimately, I think uh, Pete Carroll should have won the award. Uh, what their projected win total was before the year, I think was – I think we talked about it, might have been – five and they won nine and went to the playoffs. So with a ton of rookies, you just lost your franchise quarterback. To me, that was extremely uh, more impressive than I think the uh, giants, but I think the giants have a bigger market. And I think that's kind of, and he's a first year head coach. So a lot of things, Daniel Jones, everything kind of just played out to him. And uh, I think that's kind of why he won over some of the other coaches. I, I, I just personally, I just don't agree. I like I I don't see how you can give someone the coach that beat him twice in the regular season you don't give him you don't give him the award. It went one and one was and it I, was was the second one when Jalen Hurts was hurt? Yeah, but I think they uh, split. But your your point's still well taken though, like, JP. I just, yeah, I, just yeah, I don't yeah. see how like he didn't win his own division, yet you're going to give you're not going to you're going to give him the award over the coach that actually won the division. Yeah. He finished third in his division. No, JP, I completely agree with you. But the fact that I was right about this, I'm just like, I'm going to take this. I'm going to take this victory. <laughs> Come on, Cam. I know you got something to say. Yeah, I, Greg, when you're talking about Pete Carroll, I, I, I don't think there was any snubs. Like, if I'm pulling one out, I, I have a, a take on Mahomes. So give me a second there. But um, since we're on Coach of the Year. As you guys were going through that, I'm surprised no one brought up Doug Peterson. Like, that would have been my pick. Just talking about Greg, like, what, what you had said about Pete Carroll. I mean, you're taking a coach where – how many games did the Jaguars win last year? Two? Was it two or three? And got them to the playoffs this year. And I know, JP, you're saying it's not supposed to be based on the previous year, but you're talking about a coach who came in and took a two-win team and turned them around and brought them to the playoffs. So if I'm pulling out a snub in this category – that would be mine, but I'm not strong opinions on it. It's just I could have seen it going to him, but I'm pretty sure he got third in the voting, I think. so. Yeah, no, and I, I completely agree. I think he was a um, – if if Carroll would have won, Sirianni or – even if you just brought it to Carroll and uh, Doug Peterson, I would have been like both of them deserved it. I think both of them deserved it more than D- uh, Brian Dable did. That might be controversial controversial to say all right cam spit this this mahomes hot take that you got all right so you guys know i can't come on here without somehow talking about my bucks so in (laughs) in bucks twitter in the bucks twitter world uh, a lot of people are are upset about it because it was a it was basically a given that mahomes was going to win mvp and if you look at the stat you're shaking your head jp i think it was I mean, from what I saw, it was very clear that he was most likely going to win it. And I think there's a lot of hurt Bucks fans out there, I'll be one included, that if you look at Tom Brady's stats last year, they are incredibly similar to Mahomes' regular season stats this year. 
So obviously not the Bucks this past year, right? The Bucks sucked this past year. But go back to uh, the 2022 awards. And so that's just my my take that Tom Brady got screwed out of a, an MVP award last year and everyone loves Mahomes. I'm not a big Mahomes fan. I know I, you guys saw that in the text. So I could go off about Mahomes all day. I just uh, – Brady got cheated out of one and Mahomes deserved it this year, but Bucks fans will never forget last year. So I had to get that in there. But shouldn't your argument or shouldn't your problems be – more with Aaron Rodgers than they are with Mahomes this year. Absolutely, I'm just I'm just salty that Mahomes won it with similar numbers that Brady had. Right, he, I'm he, obviously upset that, that Rodgers won it, but Mahomes did break the record for most passing yards in a season. Yeah, yeah, like this that was kind of hard to argue with, right? It is, but for for this year absolutely but i think cam makes a good point that aaron rodgers has kind of been in his own little world the last couple of seasons and for him to have won mvp and kind of an unimpressive sorry of course everyone who wins mvp is somewhat impressive but i just felt like rodgers in 2021 was a meh mvp winner it's a weird season but i'm sure he's reflecting on it right now in his uh in his darkness retreat exactly um you know what I actually absolutely hated yesterday, though, and and I'll, I'll I'll talk on this real quick. It's part of the awards. I understand that they're Eagle fans, but the fact that you boo Dak Prescott when he's winning the Walter Payton Man of the Year award, like, come on, like to me that one, I'm just like, nah, just just let it be. You guys are in the Super Bowl now. You're just punching down to the Cowboys, and uh, you have no, you have nothing nothing to to punch down for. You guys are in the Super Bowl, um, so whatever. Hated that. Dak, I think, uh, did great things, and uh, it's good to see him, you know, win that award. I think that's a great award. Uh, we should have brought that back this year of, of highlighting people because I think it's it's amazing what NFL players do to give back to their uh, to the communities that they that they live in or that where they came from. Um, so, yeah, maybe maybe uh, next time we'll we'll highlight that a little bit more. I wanted to bring up one. Well, now point. that we've had a season off, we can talk about all the players who were nominated this year, and we can have some fodder for. For next season. Yeah. And I, there's one thing I want to point out that I think absolutely needs to be agreed with. Greg, you're absolutely right. I don't think Geno Smith should have won comeback player of the year. It should have gone to Saquon Barkley because the only thing that Geno Smith came back from was being bad at football. So I don't think that that should have been an award he wins. So I agree. I think, I think all of us are in unison on this one. Um, there wasn't as much disagreement First this time. podcast as I, as I would have loved. So, um, when we bring the four of us back, it better be a bloodbath. Maybe it needs to be, you know, after Lamar Jackson gets traded because apparently he's not worth his two hundred million dollar contract. Um. <laughs> well, JP, I I think what we actually have to do is um, we have to stop being friends. We can't text each other during the week, and the only time we communicate is during this podcast so that is how we will get the disagreements because i feel like a lot of times we just get it out during the text and then we come in here like you know after a moment of reflection uh 24 greg past greg uh no disagreed with that but now on the show i I like it i keep that same energy i keep that That same energy if i'm gonna bring it in the group chat i'm gonna bring it to the podcast i'm fighting oh me too and that's how that's why we got what we got last week Uh, and I appreciate our listeners giving us the feedback of like, oh, this is a very salty episode. 
Um, and we owe none other than the wonderful Tina Benigno all the all the thanks for that. Um, but I got to say, as we wrap this up, Cam, we're so glad you're able to join us last minute for this podcast. Thank you so much. I know you're you're a family man with, who works long hours, so we thank you for joining us this week. Also, thank you can we can we say it. congratulations to uh, Firefighter of the Year? Oh yes, hey, absolutely. That's, that's the most important award. Shout uh, out. JP, can you insert an applause right here? No, seriously, that that's awesome, man. Thank you. I'll be sure to send you guys a, a copy of my calendar, so I'll be on the lookout for that soon. Oh, oh God! Have a shirt on. <laughs> oh, oh God! Uh, can I put, can I politely decline? Sure. Can, can I just send in a donation instead? <laughs> uh, but. This brings us to the end of this episode and to the end of this season. Keep an eye out on your podcast feeds throughout the offseason. We'll be bringing you some one-hitters throughout the offseason. Mike, Greg, I want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart for allowing me to jump on this ship this year. It has been an absolute pleasure. It's made unlikely opponents into, into good friends. Look, you brought two NFC South rivals together with this podcast. Um, it's been an amazing journey. It really has. So I want to say to Greg and to Mike, thank you for letting me board this ship and uh, help you all navigate these waters this season. Well, thanks for joining Yeah, I had a, had a fun time. I love each and every one of you, seriously. Yeah, love you guys. Really appreciate this. This is the highlight of the last couple of months for me. So thanks, guys. This has been, this has been phenomenal and looking forward to picking it up again. And as we end this season and this episode much different than what we ended last week, uh, we want to keep the message still the same. Thank you so much. Please like, subscribe, rate, reviews. If you have content that you want to hear from us from this offseason coming up, I know I'm going to be at the draft in Kansas City. It's going to be a lot of fun going on. So please, we'll check in with you all as much as we can. We'll pop out episodes here and there, especially when it comes down to those big offseason milestones. Um, we want to say please like, subscribe, rate, review unsubscribe, resubscribe, like it again, share it to your aunties, your uncles, your cousins, your TTs, whoever you need to share this podcast with, please do so. Um, on behalf of my co-hosts, Greg and Mike, uh, we will say tune in next season for another episode of Not Another Football Podcast. And shameless plug, uh, listen to JP's XFL podcast starting next week. <laughs> <Ka-ka>! <laughs>